Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast with Kirsty and Isaac. If you are an Amazon seller looking to grow your business with some of the latest tactics and strategies, along with some great guidance for your overall business, then you are in the right place. So pay attention and if needed, take notes. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast. This podcast was developed by and for Amazon sellers to give you the latest strategies that are working right now to help you grow your Amazon business profitably, as well as how to plan for your future growth and lifestyle. So if you're currently selling on Amazon or looking to get started in selling private label products on Amazon, then you're in the right place to learn more about the ins and outs of the processes and strategies it takes to develop a long-term sustainable business that brings you income month after month and year after year. And today we have a very special guest with us. Yeah, that's right. So in this episode, we're going to be speaking with Evan Sawyer from R&D Lawyers. And we've got, I've got a big build up here for you, Evan. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. So that is a law firm that is based out of Chicago and has been especially close to our coaching program in terms of, you know, helping our members with getting their trademarks set up, any legal stuff really around running your Amazon business. Because this is kind of an area that you know, when we first start off in our Amazon business, we're all like, yeah, I'm going to make all this money on Amazon. And then we realize, oh, and we've got to check off, you know, trademarks, patents and all this other stuff as well. So it's kind of like the silent things around the Amazon business that Evan particularly helps out with. Um, he's a principal at R&D. His clients include small to large, you know, domestic firms, foreign businesses, real estate, investors and lenders. So quite an array of, of experience that Evan has had over the how, how long have you been a lawyer, Evan, actually? Oh, so I've been a lawyer for about 11, 12 years now. All right. Seems, yeah, like, so... a life, seems like a lifetime, but... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, big kind of career, also helping out, you know, small businesses through Amazon, which is awesome. So before you kind of became this super lawyer, maybe tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you end up being in that field? And um, exactly, you know, how did you end up helping helping Amazon sellers as well? Sure, sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm really looking forward to this. I appreciate it. Um, so my journey started out of law school, just like most attorneys. You know, I wanted that corner office. I didn't mind wearing a suit every day. I wanted to make the money. I didn't care how many hours a day I worked. I didn't care how often I was yelled at by my by the partner at the firm. Um, and I did that. And I was okay with it for about a year in, until it started to wear on. At the time, it was just my wife and I have two kids now, but our relationship. And um, I literally would see my wife maybe a half hour a day. You know, I'd come home at 8, 8.30, see her, go to bed, wake up early in the morning and do the same thing every single day. And, and I just had enough. And I remembered it was like a Tuesday night. It was Taco Tuesday. And uh, I was on the way home and I was sitting on the train and I kind of had that aha moment. And I just said, look, I can't do this anymore. There's got to be a different way to do what I'm doing to practice law. So I started to look for some jobs. The sad thing is I was looking for the same jobs I did because I didn't know what was out there. Randomly, um, I got a call after applying to my current partner from Bob Rita and he said, look, I'd love to interview you. And I said, great, when should I come in? He said, no, no, we're going to do it as a virtual web conference. And this, keep in mind, this was um, 11, 12 years ago or 10 years ago. Now it's common. But then I was like, what is that, right? I'm, how am I going to get set up? I need, a, I need a video camera. What do I need? Anyway, I thought it was really cool. Did the interview. It went really well. He explained the firm was completely paperless, remote, 
everything was done electronically. I said, all right, this is kind of cool. I didn't hear from about a month. So I figured it was like nothing. Finally get a call from him. Long story short, I got the job. I was ecstatic, right? And I was working from home, my pajamas all day. Anyway, over the past 10 years, I've helped him build this amazing electronic remote paperless firm. And what it does is it really allows me to spend more time with my kids. I have two young kids now. I can, you know, take them now. We can't during the pandemic, but when we could take them swimming for their lessons in the middle of the day, things like that. I could, I could do more efficient things for my clients. I get more done at home and, you know, at all times really. And just my mindset completely changed. I'm a lot happier. Anyway, over, over the past couple of years, it really led me into representing e-commerce sellers more and more. Um, I started selling myself on Amazon five years ago, uh, my partner and I, and then I just started representing e-commerce sellers just because I have the same kind of mindset. Um, and it's really developed my practice and it's kind of my niche now is, is the e-com world and the Amazon world. And I just love what I do. So that's kind of my, my journey in a, in a nutshell from being that typical, you know, suit wearing lawyer, didn't care if he was an egomaniac to now wearing a t-shirt every day and, and sitting at home, spending more time with my family and, and loving life. So now you're just a shorts wearing egomaniac. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Isaac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story because, you know, actually, I actually did apply to law school and messed up my application. So when I called and asked him, like, hey, what's the status of my application? They're like, oh, you didn't sign this thing. And basically, we've hired all the people or, or, or uh, you know, filled out every vacancy. And I was like, Oh, and I remember hanging up and I'm just going, I'll find another way to make money. And just like, well, I actually said a million dollars and then just hung up. I was like, done. That's the last straw. Cause like I waited a year for in-state tuition and I was like, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm just going to go do live life and do what I want. But um, yeah, I took the LSATs and everything. And, and I think there is a little bit of that egomaniac kind of thing, <laughs> you yeah. know, that hides under the surface of like, yeah, you want to be this, this lawyer for status or, or whatever, but it's nice to see like, you know, you're an Amazon seller. You, you don't want to be in, in courtrooms all day. You don't want to be, you know, fighting like the, you know, how the scummy lawyers are where they're like doing dirty work for bad people. You're actually representing small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and even larger businesses for the, for the sake of helping them not get run over by, by legal action and stuff like that. So kind of in that sense, like what are some of the main legal issues that you see Amazon sellers start having like as they start growing their business or even right at the beginning of their business? So I think with most Amazon sellers, it really starts with the beginning and the mindset. I mean, a lot of a lot of newcomers really, at least in my experience, kind of start as like a hobby. They're like, oh, I'll just start selling on Amazon, you know, and see how it goes, that kind of thing. And they don't really treat it like a business from the start. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I like to say is that you're the owner of your business, you're not your business. So from the start, treat it like that. And the number one thing that you need to do is separate yourself individually from your business, meaning you need to set up an LLC or a corporation or some type of legal entity that's going to shield you individually from personal liability. And a lot of people, a lot of Amazon sellers kind of hear that word liability protection or that term. And a lot of them really don't understand how the process works. 
And it's, you know, take, for example, say you have a product out there, say it injures a customer, right? Or you have an unhappy customer, right? That's always going to happen. Um, and they end up suing you or there's some type of dispute and they get a judgment against you for, I don't know, $100,000, right? If you didn't have an LLC or a corporation to separate yourself and they needed to, that customer needed to collect that money from you, they could literally put a lien on your house. They could go after your car. They could go after your personal bank account. They could go after your kids' bank accounts. I mean, they could drain you personally where you'd have to file bankruptcy most of the time because most of the time you can't afford that. Um, if you have the LLC, however, they can only grab what that LLC or that corporation has. And most of the time, it's, yes, your inventory and whatever you have in that business bank account, which is normally nothing because it's usually transferred to your personal. So that's one of the, you know, the, the very first step. And I and I like to think of this as like a, I call it like a, a bubble protect. You know, I build these layers around yourself individually. The first layer is making sure that you have that proper entity set up so you're protected. And I can kind of get into it besides the protection, you know, factor there, there is this kind of, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist, but there is this mindset that goes into this. Um, I think there's something like we have 60,000 thoughts a day and 80% of them are negative, which ends up being like an hour out of your day. You have these worrisome thoughts. And most of the time that's about number one, your family, your finances, your business, but if you can get rid of those, a lot of those thoughts by making sure these things are in place, think about how much more time you'll have to spend on your actual business and growing it. The fun stuff, this legal stuff is not fun, but it's just, it's stuff that you, well, it, it is fun when you start to see how it works, but it's stuff that you need in place. So I guess the number one thing is when, when people start on Amazon, they need to have the mindset that this is a business and that it's not a hobby and you need to treat it like a true business. Yeah, that's that's really, really good, actually, because I think you're right. I think it's almost um, that mindset of if I if I set up that business, that means I'm doing this right. <laughs> so it's that kind of and even though it doesn't really cost that much to set up the business, it's that psychological thing of right, I'm in it now, I've got a proper business. So that can work in two ways. For some people, that's like, oh shit, like I'm literally <laughs> doing this. Or for others, it's like, right, that's a stake in the ground that I needed to be able to say, yeah, I'm doing this properly. I am I am actually growing this thing. And I think it's, it's a really important point about protecting yourself because when you start, you don't really understand that and, and putting that moat around you to, it's the business. And if anything goes wrong, it's cool. The business will, will take care of it. So I think that's that's very important. And then obviously that's setting up the business. But as, as you know, as you start to go through the business, me personally, you know, I came across things like I had a patent issue. Um, I also had um, even an issue where, you know, one of the products failed and there was there could have been a potential claim around someone claiming against the business. Luckily, that never happened. But again, those are those worrisome thoughts that you that you talked about. How do you suggest that either people set themselves up to help with those things? Or what's the kind of mindset that people need to deal with those things, do you think? So I think that I think when we start with the mindset, I think nowadays, especially with the pandemic, there's so many more Amazon sellers and not only just Amazon, but all e-commerce and online sellers. So there's more and more people that you're competing with um, and more and more likelihood that you're going to have either the same or similar products. You know, as you know, when we source products, we, if we source from Alibaba, 
a lot of the a lot of sellers are selling very similar products to to other people. So if you go in the mindset that assuming that somebody else likely has the rights to that either that design of that product or the name on that product and start from there and work your way, then I think that's the best way to do it. Almost go in like you're paranoid, right? So if if I have, I don't know, um, I don't know, examples, some type of like crazy straw, right? I'm going to go in and source it, but I'm going to have the mindset that somebody designed that straw. So somebody probably has a patent on that straw. And by patent, I mean, it's an invention. So when we talk about patents, we talk about somebody invented or designed the utility of that product and how it works. And it's not known. It wasn't known to the public at the time. So the first thing I would do is, okay, I'll go to a place like Google Patents and I'll search crazy straw or whatever it is, right? And um, and just do my preliminary search to make sure that nobody has that design and those rights. And the pushback I get all of the time on this from Amazon sellers is that, well, there, there are a hundred people selling that same straw. So we're, I can sell it too, right? Which is not the case because more and more right now I'm seeing that if somebody does have the rights to that, they're literally knocking off the entire crop. So they're knocking off 99 of those 100 sellers off Amazon in one swoop. So that's on like the design side. And then we can get into the branding and the trademark side, right? So the next thing I would do is I would say, okay, somebody's selling under the brand name Evan Sauer, right? And I, and then I would do a proper search to make sure that, um, that that name is available or whether I can use that or not. So it's it's searching, doing your searches before you start actually ordering samples and and going full force just to make sure that you are protected and you have the rights to sell that product. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially, you know, the product patent, like you said, because you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, people, because of the way that Amazon's set up, you know, they really want to make sure that what they're selling is not counterfeit to the customer, right? And so they're not going to go through the whole process that you might go through if you were selling on your own website. They're just going to like chuck you off and then you've, as a seller, you've got to hope for the best. But I think, like you said, it's really in, it's it's in our control. It's what we need to do as sellers um, to be empowered to do that and not, blame it on Amazon that it's Amazon is a fault with Amazon, right? It's actually just the law and yeah. it's just easier to kind of do it on Amazon. And then with trademarks, at what stage do you think, you know, you have to do, if, if you've got like a, a brand in mind, a brand name, we see this a lot with our, with our sellers before they actually order the product, what's, what should they do first to just check off that name? Cause usually what they do is they just see if the .com is available Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really prove anything, does it? So, what would what's the best thing? No, to no, yeah. I mean, so there, there's a, a the steps that I go through are, are number one. So, not every brand, and we talked about this. I'll back up. When we talk about trademarks, we're talking about it could be anything from your uh, brand name, your slogan, your logo uh, that identifies the source of the goods, products that you're selling, and then distinguishes that from everybody else's goods. So think of like the major brands, think of like Nike, Adidas, right? We know what we're getting when we buy those brands. It's designed, trademarks are designed to protect not the businesses, but the consumers. So the consumers know that, again, if I see Nike on a shirt, I know exactly what I'm getting. I'm, I know the, the feel of it the, and I'm paying the money for that, what I think I'm getting. 
Um, so think of it like that. It protects the, the customers, not the businesses. But so the first thing I do is I, I would pick a strong brand name, right? Um, not every name, brand name is can be trademarked. There's kind of a spectrum that we think of. It goes from the weakest, which is generic names, to the strongest, which is arbitrary. So I'll give you an example. A generic name, if I'm selling the fruit apples and my brand name is Apple, there's no way I could actually get a trademark for that because it's it's the definition of what I would be selling, if that makes sense. Um, that would prevent anybody else from um, selling the fruit apples from using that word. And it just, it, it would never work. Then we have descriptive and descriptive is a little better, but it's still not considered to be a trademark. And an example of that would be if I'm selling like a drawer that slides into a desk and my brand name is called desk drawer, right? I'm just describing what that is. That can't be trademarked. Then we get to suggestive. And then the last is arbitrary, which is think of like just unique names, which is always the strongest and the best chance of being trademarked. So I'll take Apple again, for example, Apple and computers, right? It's the, still the same word Apple, but when we think of it with a computer, it has nothing to do with computers. Now, now we know it does, but at the time when they started, it didn't. So that is so arbitrary of a word for computers that is a strong, strong word to be trademarked. So the first thing I do, and this, this like cuts my business sense and my law sense in half because the first thing I do is I say, I want to have the most unique name possible, something that doesn't even go with whatever I'm selling, right? And the business side and like the SEO side and the branding side on Amazon, I'm like, well, I need to have a brand name that kind of like hints at what I'm selling, right? So I try to balance it and come up with some type of strong name that's that's close to being arbitrary. That will give me a better chance that somebody else doesn't have the rights to that name. And then also that when I go to register the trademark, I'll be able to get it. So that's step one. Step two is I'll do a, a thorough search to make sure that nobody else has the rights to that uh, brand name. And when we think of trademarks, we think of the fact that you can't have the same or similar brand name, so same or similar name, to somebody that's selling the same or similar products. So those two requirements have to be there. Um, I could have the same exact name as another brand name that's selling completely different products, but if they're similar products or the same products, I can't do that. So the steps that I'll take, number one, I'll go into a search engine like Google, I'll put quotes around the brand name, and I'll hit enter. If something pops up that is close to the products or the same products I'm going to sell, then I know I can't use that. That knocks it out. The next thing I'll do is I'll take the quotations out and I'll search. And if anything close comes up, and then I'll keep continuing to try to find similarities in my brand name. So I'll replace, you know, if you replace like, you know, if I spell out two, that's in my brand name, I'll put the number two. I'll, I'll just try to think of as many similarities of the words sound and um, that I can think of and I'll put it in there. I do that. The next thing I'll do is I'll do the same thing with domain names. Um, if I go to buy my domain and somebody has um, that brand name .com, then that's a red flag for me. And I'll, I'll research that a little further and see what kind of products they're selling. The next state, next thing I'll do is if I'm in the United States, so you can have federal trademarks and then you can also register your trademark in this in a state. So say you have like a restaurant, a lot of people do this if they just sell in one state. I'll go to my home state, the Secretary of State, and I'll search the state trademark base. 
and to see if anybody has my brand name within that state. If they do, then I'll look at that a little further to see if it's um, if it's going to be a problem. You know, now Amazon in the online world, we're selling all over the country and all over the world. Um, so a lot of times that is not a huge deal breaker. And then the last thing I'll do is I'll go into the USPTO and that's that's where we register trademarks, the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Um, and I'll do the same kind of searches. So I'll put quotes around it. Then I'll take them out and I'll compare all the, you know, and I, what I'll do too is I'll, um, Kirsten Isaac, I have a really good, uh, it's an ebook that I did. It's called Land My Brand. It's like a checklist. I can send that out to you guys too, sure. to give to all uh, your audience. Um, and that'll go through all the steps that I take for the USPTO. And that, those are the preliminary steps that I take for the searching. Once that's all done and cleared, the next thing I always recommend is a comprehensive search. And I, I don't do this because it would take me 500 hours. I have a company that I refer to that does this, that has their technology, and it will literally go through like the universe and pull together every similarity out there. Once that's cleared, then I know I'm good to go and I can start using my name. After that, you know, we start to use our names. You say, well, what, how do you get your trademark? A lot of people ask me that. I, I want to get a trademark. To get trademark rights in the U.S., you just need to use that name in commerce, meaning that you need to use it with a product, you need to sell a product. So once I sell a product with that name, assuming that I have the rights to use it, um, I automatically have what's called the common law trademark rights. Um, where I sell the products. So say I sold one in Arkansas, you know, I get the rights there. Say I sold another one in California, I get the rights there. Registering the trademark with the USPTO gives you far greater rights. You know, it's national protection, puts everybody else on notice. It it, it kicks all the, the good guys, I like to say, out of the picture, the people that are doing what we're doing here and searching and seeing that if somebody else has the name, then I'm not going to use it. You're never going to prevent the bad guys, but it, it kicks a lot of people out. So once I go through the application process, then I'm golden, right? I'll, I'll get my trademark and then you just start enforcing it. That's when you can actually start. And the beautiful thing about it now is almost, and you know, we know brand registry, right? For Amazon, you know, they'll, they're really good about that. If you need a registered trademark, they'll kick you off. But all, all of the social media platforms are doing this now too. Instagram, Facebook, you literally just go online and there's a form you fill out. If you have a registered trademark, you submit it and they will automatically kick off somebody else that is infringing on your trademark. So oh, it's that, that's one of the know. major, that's becoming one of the major benefits of getting a registration now too. That's awesome. And one thing I just wanted to kind of clarify, you're, you're saying about the .com like a lot of the times people will buy the .com but not actually have a website or use it. So in that case, I think, you know, they might not have the the patent or the, tr sorry, the trademark on that. They might just be squatting on a site to sell it for later. Um, so that's kind of one of those instances where a little bit more um, digging might be necessary. If you see that it's used but or, or purchased but not used, then it's like, okay, that's not going to stop me from moving forward necessarily. Is that is that usually the case? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's a great point, Isaac. Um, a lot of people are doing that now too. They're squatting and then they'll say, oh, you want the domain? Well, here it's $10,000. <laughs> you know, so what they'll do is you'll say, I go apply for a trademark at the USPTO. Somebody will pull that up and then see if the domain's um, available. If it is, they'll go buy it and then they'll send you something say, oh, you, I see you have this trademark. Do you want this domain or <laughs> whatever? Yeah, it's it's pretty awful, but you're right. So 
don't just assume because somebody has that, that doc, dot com is not available that somebody is actually using it. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's going to be some sellers listening to this and thinking to themselves, oh my God, I got to do so many things to get set up to, to run the business properly. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. I mean, it's something that we actually tell our coaching members, like, don't run this under your personal name. There's a lot of things that can happen that can go sideways if something bad does happen. So make sure you set it up with the LLC and all that stuff. Um, but I think some of this stuff can kind of come in stages. It's not like you have to do this day one of your business, right? So the first thing you want to make sure is, do you even have a business worth going forward with, right? So you've got to do some of that stuff. So do you have any advice for sellers in order to make sure that they're protected? And I like how you're wearing a shirt that says protect today, by the way, um, <laughs> but potentially not bogging themselves down in the legal part of the process up front. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. And, and the, you know, I know that, look, it costs money um, to sell on Amazon, right? We have to source products. We have to pay for those. We have to get a website potentially, you know, all these things. Um, and it's scary. And legal is is normally the last thing to to kind of come forward. But the number one thing, the, the first thing I would highly recommend again is setting up your business. And it's, <clears throat> it sell, I mean, it, it doesn't cost that much. It really doesn't, $300 maybe, right? If you have to do it on your own, do it on your own, just get it filed, sell something at home, right? Sell it on eBay or whatever it is. But that is the number one first thing to do the first stage. We have to, we got to remember like why we're starting this. You're starting it for a reason, right? You're selling for a reason. Again, if it's to make yourself money or for your family to set yourself up in the future, um, just to be, whatever it is, we don't want to lose it. So we want to make sure that it's all set up. The other, the other big benefit of um, setting up an LLC or a corporation that a lot of people don't think about is, again, think about, think about the liability protection, right? So in the back of your mind, if, there's no chance that somebody could sue you and take your personal assets, right? They could only take what the business has. It gives you a sense of greater leverage in negotiation, maybe when you're sourcing products, right? So if you're ordering more volume, a lot of times we get we get a better deal, right, on that. So it'll it'll cost less per unit. And if we're saying, well, okay, I'm I'm willing to take the risk and and um, and shell more money out, right, because there's no chance that I could they could personally get at my my personal assets, then maybe you can actually save money in the long run, right? Um, so those kind of things are are why I like to start there. With the trademarking, which is always the next step, you still have to do the searching. That's all free. You can do that all for free. You don't have to register your trademark right away. I know like, you know, obviously every single product that you sell is not going to be a home run. And I know that there's no point to register a trademark for every single class of goods or products that you have because the process takes six to nine months and you might not be selling that after that, you know, after that period. So to go back to your, in a long window way, back to your point, do it in stages. Number one, set up your company, no matter what it takes, set it up properly, get a business bank account, make sure that's set up. There's also advantage accounting tax advantages to doing that. Um, yeah. I mean, you might only have to pay $750 a year in taxes. Yeah, <laughs> it, exactly. Exactly. Well, unless you pay in advance, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. So yeah, that's that's the number one thing that I would I would do. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's um, it's yeah, it's funny that you just said that about. <laughs> 
$750. Yeah. So if someone is just not confident that, you know, they've done the research properly. So basically they're like, all right, Evan, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm, I'm trying to do the research, but I just really want this brand name. Right. And I think I'm, I can get away with it, but I'm not sure if I can. Like, you know, what, what would be your advice? Should they just reach out to someone that specializes in doing it? to get is that the best way to get that name or intellectual property because there might just be a little nuance that you need to change the same with a patent right there might be just one little thing that you need to change on the product that number one could probably make it better anyway and could actually make sure that you're covered in terms of someone else owning a patent um yeah i mean i i would always recommend reaching out to a professional um normally a lawyer in this case um there's companies that do it too i don't know all of the companies that that do trademarking um, and, and how good they are, but there are some that are good. Um, so I would highly recommend that, you know, if you, again, if it's, if it's such a unique name and you do the search and you're pretty confident, you can run with it. There is a big risk and, and they're actually, um, you know, a couple of people in the group, actually this happened to them. It happens to people all the time. It's not obviously not just the group, but everywhere um, e-commerce sellers, well, they'll, they'll be selling for three years and then they get a letter in the mail and then they have to completely change their business. Right. They might have, you might have $20,000 worth of inventory sitting in an Amazon warehouse that you can't do anything with, right? Mm -hmm. Because it has a brand name on it that you're not, that you can't use somebody else, has, you know, so you're, you're literally throwing that in the trash. Taking it to the swap meet, maybe something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Exa exactly. So it's, look, there's always a risk. You're never going to be, it's never a hundred percent, um, that you'll have those rights. I mean, you can get it to, I don't know, like statistics, like 99% percentages, but I would highly recommend talking to a professional and also just so you don't have to worry about it, right? Mm. I you think know, it's interesting. Usually what we find is that the last thing people want to do is spend money on a lawyer, right? Yeah. <laughs> However, it's going to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's going to cost you a lot more in the long run. So there might be just a workaround. So as an example, I had an issue with a patent um, back in the day. It was actually one of my um, best products. But having come from a corporate background, you know, we were we had a legal team and we'd been through some big, hairy things with like global brands. But we always found a solution. Now, it might cost you money for that solution. And then you have to weigh up the risk, whether you're ready for it or not. But the, you you can usually find some solution that will enable you to either keep selling the product or you change it in some way. And then you can work usually with the person. If they're a real kind of person or business that really don't want to screw you over, they just literally want to own their own patent, you can usually find some way to kind of work around that, I think. So, mm -hmm. yeah, well, how do you think about balancing that risk factor, you know, in a from a cost and a time perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's a you're hundred percent right. I mean, it's look, I know that nobody listening to this is going to go purposely copy anything, um, but that happens all the time. So if we're intentionally, you know, we take ideas from obviously other sellers and things like that and other businesses that are doing well. But if you're doing everything in good faith, normally it's going to work out okay. So if it's even if it's a little close either with the patent side or the trademark side, um, a lot of times, like you said, Kirsty, you can if you're not directly competing with whoever has that name or that patent, a lot of times you could strike some type of agreement with them, which we've done plenty of times in the past, and they'll allow you to, to coexist. The other thing to do too is, um, and this is, I mean, you know, this is on the business side, your guys' side, but don't get so, so um, crazy about one brand name, one logo, this is it, this is all I can do, 
have backups, have alternatives, like think, assume that you're going to have to switch gears or assume that you're going to want to switch gears. I mean, companies change their branding all of the time. So it's never the end of the world. And maybe there are ways that you don't really just, you know, slap your entire brand name across your products, right? And there's no way to change it after you order 20,000 units. Um, so there, there are ways that you can protect yourself on the business side as well in case something happens on the legal side. Yeah. And actually, I bring that up to our members a lot is that, you know, Nike didn't start as Nike. They started as Blue Ribbon Sports. Mm-hmm. They they waited multiple years. That They were a pretty decent sized company when they decided to change to Nike. So, you know, if you're a little Amazon company and yeah, you have to rebrand, it's not that big a deal. Like people weren't searching for you, you know, already most of the time anyway, they were just looking for something and you happen to be, you know, the thing that they bought. So it's a pretty good, uh, concept is is you can remain flexible with that brand name. Um, I know from like a legal perspective, we have members that always say, oh, the lawyer just said, pick a random name. I'm like, yeah, lawyer will obviously say that because that's the easiest thing for them to defend, right? Like, <laughs> but as a business person, that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? So um, aside from maybe some of those things, do you have any other thoughts or insights for Amazon sellers before we let you go? Just have fun with it. I mean, that, that's the legal side. Like I said, just run it, run it like a business. Um, again, you are the, you're the owner of your business. You're not, you're not the business. So separate yourself as much as possible. Um, and like you just said, I mean, it's, you got to do that to protect yourself going forward. I mean, it's, you're not, you're not too small starting off to worry about these things, mm-hmm. right? Like we were just talking about Nike. Nike didn't start off as a billion dollar company, right? I mean, that's, they started off somewhere, and you got to be flexible with what you do on the branding side, but don't let it all get ruined in the beginning without setting it up properly. You'll figure it out as you go. Don't get too stressed about everything. Like Isaac said, take it in stages, take the legal stuff in stages, just like you take the business and the marketing stuff in stages. Yeah, um, for sure. And it'll be awesome. great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Evan, for uh, joining us today. And how can people actually get in contact with you to seek any other further clarity or work with you on that Amazon legal stuff? Oh yeah. I mean, so I'm on Facebook, of course I have, I have a group that I run um, brand protection for e-com sellers. Um, also I can give you my email. It's, it's Evan E V A N at R D lawyers.com. Rita and Desjardins is my firm. So you can find me there too. It's R D lawyers.com. Yeah. Um, I'd give my my cell phone, but probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, man, I wish I could take that back now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Evan, for, you know, all the great insights and strategies on how to get over the legal limitations, roadblocks, concerns that, you know, a lot of Amazon sellers are going to have, not just at the beginning, but kind of as they go. It kind of like, you know, we always try to tell people, like, don't put everything overwhelmingly all up front and overwhelm yourself to like stop you from moving forward. But it does kind of come as you get more used to this stuff and, you know, definitely set up that LLC right away. So that's, I think yeah, the great piece of advice there. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't mean to cut you off. One more thing that I do, I do want to mention, and this is happening a lot now and I actually use this. Um, if you can, if you're sourcing from China, find a good Chinese law firm. There are a lot out there. Um, easy to deal with. And the the best thing you can do with the counterfeiters is stop them at the source. So they'll actually, they'll help you enter written agreements with your suppliers, right? Which is really nice. And then they'll find all the counterfeiters out there and shut down those suppliers. So, um, 
you know, when you start to grow and you, and you start to source a lot of products and a lot of units, start looking into that because that's happening more and more now too. And, and I've had a lot of success with um, some of the firms over there. That's a great tip. Yeah. Cause you know, that, you know, getting a written agreement or even a patent for a specific design uh, you know, that's, that's a great way to ensure that, you know, you don't get global sellers because they're, they're not going to be able to d- develop it from the same manufacturer. So that's really good information. And guys, if you like what you heard today, please be sure to hit the subscribe button and share our podcast with friends who might get value out of it as well. Also to get some free training on what it takes to have a successful business to feel your lifestyle, head to www.goteamreal.com to download our free training today. And we'll see you next week for the next Sprint to Profit episode. And as always, we wish you the best for you and your business. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you would like to get more information about selling on Amazon, head to goteamreal.com for some absolutely free training.